The text for the sermon this morning you'll find in Acts chapter 4, the verses 8 through 12, and let us read them once more. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Thus far. After the sermon, let us respond by singing hymn 28, the stanzas 1, 5, and 7. Hymn 28, 1, 5, and 7. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, we all know that the world is getting smaller. Not physically, of course, but in terms of getting to know about other cultures and practices. As we travel beyond our borders to places like the Middle East and Asia, we come in constant uh, contact with different belief systems. Actually, we do not have to travel outside of Canada to see that there are so many different cultures and belief systems, since many people from different parts of the world have come here to settle, and they have brought with them their culture and their faith system as well. And so within our multicultural society and multi-faith society, the Christian faith is unique in that it points us to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. But with that constant influx of people from non-Christian parts of the world, this understanding of Christ's role as being our Savior is being questioned. And a growing number of theologians and church members are challenging the usual Christian interpretation that God made salvation possible only through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, one reason for the challenge is that if the Bible was written by former Jews to people of their time and culture, then this does not reflect the makeup of our society today. With millions of non-Christians, is the claim that salvation is only in the Lord Jesus Christ, is that claim still valid? Is that how the God of love acts? And so we discover that Jesus is readily accepted as one of the great moral teachers of all time, but not as the only Savior. And so that raises the question, how should we react and interact with this claim that you have probably heard as well? Well, let us react and interact by listening to what the Apostle Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, had to say about Christ the Savior. And so I preach you about Peter's declaration concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. And then we look at two things, that Christ Jesus is God's chosen capstone, or chief cornerstone, and that Christ Jesus is the only Savior. Now, our text begins by stressing that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
On Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descended on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in a magnificent way. Everyone who saw it was filled with amazement when tongues of fire settled on the apostles, and these servants of Christ spoke in tongues. And we know that the outpouring of the Spirit came in fulfillment of promise, and that this outpouring was, has lasting effects on the church and for the church. For the Spirit came to dwell in God's people. The Spirit's coming means that the Lord Jesus Christ stays connected with and is present in his church. And in Acts 4, we witness another special manifestation of the Spirit. On special occasions, the Spirit enabled Christ's apostles to speak boldly in keeping with their Master's promise, when they arrest you, do not worry about what you are to say or how to say it, for at that time you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Father speaking, the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. You can read that in Matthew 10, verses 19 through 21. And so Peter and John experienced the fulfillment of these promises and predictions by the Lord Jesus Christ when they stood before the Sanhedrin. And so what happened that they appeared before the leaders of the people? Well, Peter and John had healed a cripple by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And this healing did not only draw the crowds of ordinary people, it also drew the attention of the religious leadership in Jerusalem. And these leaders did not like what they saw, nor did they like what they heard, because Peter and John were proclaiming the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they seized Peter and John and put them in jail for the night. Now, can you imagine being put in jail for having healed a man who had been crippled for more than 40 years? But that is what happened in the name of justice in Jerusalem. Yes, Christian persecution began early on in the life of the church. But then the next day, Peter and John were ushered in by the temple police and they were not charged with any crime, mind you. No, this was only an inquiry in which the leaders wanted to know by what power such simple, unschooled, uneducated men like Peter and John had healed that cripple. And so the leaders focused on by what power and under whose name Peter and John operated. And in doing so, they followed the same tactic that they had used at the trial of the Lord Jesus Christ. For you see, they did not ask about what Peter and John had done, for who would be able to condemn the healing of a crippled person? Now, what was questioned in the, is the way, in the way they had done this, and the means that these people had used for you see, the issue was that the leaders regarded the Lord Jesus as a blasphemer because he had called himself to be the Son of God. And therefore, to use his power and his name for healing, no matter what the blessed result may have been and was, was using the power and the name of a blasphemer, that is, someone who misrepresents God. 
But the Holy Spirit enabled Peter to sidestep that question and to focus on the real issue and to focus on the enduring message. And that message is, Jesus lives. He is God's chosen capstone or cornerstone. And so the, the Holy Spirit let Peter change the trial from a possible criminal investigation into an inquiry about an act of mercy. As someone keenly observed, from being in the question box, Peter stepped into the pulpit. And Peter had full command of the situation. He had their undivided attention. While technically speaking, he was on the defense, he went on the attack. The rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law wanted to know by what power and name he and John had healed this man. Well, he would tell them exactly how it was done. And it is important to note that the word that Peter used for healing is used in verse 12 for salvation. For you see, healing is a restoration whereby the person can function again in joy before his maker. And in that sense, healing and salvation have one and the same purpose. It is to make us realize that all healing and restoration comes from God, so that we will praise the Lord for healing and salvation. And so Peter gives them a direct answer concerning the source of the healing power and the name by which he and John performed this miracle. He said it was done in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now please note, not just the name Jesus, but Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And you know, we can learn a lesson from this for a moment. We do well to also learn to speak more precisely about the Lord Jesus Christ, and not just the word, use the name Jesus all the time, because Jesus is not the same person for everyone. Oh, to us as Christians, he's the Savior. But to Muslims, he is one of the many prophets. And to many people of the modern world, Jesus is the good man, the moral teacher, whom you may want to follow or reject. But the biblical Jesus is more than a moral teacher. You see, Moses was one too. And Scripture tells us in the book of Hebrews that the Lord Jesus is more than Moses. Jesus is also more than a prophet. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, who came to earth to pay for our sins, and he is the one who lives. And so Peter purposely stressed and used that double name of the Lord Jesus Christ to point to Jesus' earthly life and to his divine mission of the Christ. Now, the leaders of the people could not have asked for a more straightforward answer than what Peter gave them. Don't you agree? He didn't beat around the bush. He said, know this, you and all the people of Israel, by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised up from the dead, this man stands before you healed. 
And so in his defense of the truth, Peter used the bold contrast of crucified and raised. And he did that in order to appeal to their conscience as if to say, listen, people, you cannot get rid of Jesus. Not even by crucifixion. He is the living one, and he will always be there to remind you. For who can forget that when the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that the chief priest bribed the soldiers who guarded the tomb to spread the message that his disciples had stolen the body? But their deception was no match for the glorious power of Christ Jesus that was displayed in the healing of that crippled man. The healed man is living testimony to the resurrected Christ. It is testimony that says, Christ Jesus lives. And they wanted to know the name used to heal that cripple. Well, Peter says, his name is Jesus Christ. And don't separate the name from the person, please. For we know that the name Jesus means he saves. And Jesus saves because he is the Christ who lives. And in the healed cripple, the living Christ confronted them with even stronger evidence than the Roman soldiers did, who brought the message from the tomb that Jesus had left the tomb. For you see, the point is, no dead Jesus could work a miracle such as this. But the risen and glorified Jesus Christ alone, he could do it. And so Peter's message is that from the once despised, but now glorified Jesus, and from him alone, does this true salvation come. And this salvation is more than healing from a physical affliction such as the cripple had received. No, the healing points to all the healing from the spiritual diseases of sin and it points to the deliverance from the coming judgment as well. Because Peter preached the Lord Jesus Christ as the living Savior. And notice that he used the words of Psalm 118, verse 22, the same passage that the Lord Jesus Christ himself had used in the last week of his ministry. In Matthew 21, we read how the Lord Jesus has, had quoted this psalm and applied it to the hearers when he said, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. He who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces, but he on whom it falls, the stone falls, will be crushed. Matthew 21, 43 and 44. And when Jesus spoke these words, the leaders of the people realized that Jesus was addressing them. And now the Spirit uses Peter to cite that very same passage of the Psalm 118, to confront the leaders with it once more. The religious leaders are the builders of God's house, but they have rejected the capstone of God's choice, the one on whom the whole building rests. They had rejected him as unfit, as a blasphemer. Now, I'm sure that all of us know, but let me tell you anyway, what a cornerstone or capstone is, the chief cornerstone, Usually the stone in an arch, 
And then the top stone in the V-shape keeps the arch from collapsing. So it holds the building up. Well, Christ holds up Christianity. Christ holds Christianity together. Christ holds the church together. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, as God's chosen capstone, is more than just a fine-sounding name for him. Now he is once again the one who is pivotal to the faith. But he is once again, pointed out by Peter, the one who has been rejected by the leaders. And the point now is also that the Lord Jesus Christ is once, once again rejected in the world at large because, you see, it doesn't seem reasonable. Since Christianity is an exclusionary religion, it would mean that hundreds of millions of people, of non-Christians in the present, who don't believe that Jesus saves, that they are destined to face the fiery flames of perdition. And you see, that doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem the right way to act for a God of love. And so it is not surprising that you will find people, including Christians, who believe that the scope of salvation must extend beyond that one religion we know as Christianity. Now let me give you a little bit of history here. This concept of Christianity is becoming more popular. But actually, the seed of this opinion was already sown back in 1938 in the country of India at a mission conference of the World Council of Churches. For at that council, they concluded that Christ reveals himself anonymously, that is, not in name, but in fact, in non-Christian religions. So what that means is that other religions may speak about the Savior. They don't call him Jesus, but they mean the same thing. Even though they deny Jesus as the capstone. And so the question is, is it true? The thought that salvation is only available apart from Christ may be an idea that the masses will love to hear and that they will listen to. But is it the truth according to God's word? And that brings us then to the second point of the sermon. Christ Jesus is the only Savior. For the obvious question is, of course, whether God does have more than one capstone. Is Jesus Christ who died and who rose from the dead, is he one of many who save. Now, if Christianity does not have a unique message of salvation for the world, my brothers and sisters, then what need is there to proclaim the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? Why would we have mission committees? Why would we have vacation Bible schools? And as churches, why would we send missionaries into this world? What then is left of the message of Peter who was filled by the Holy Spirit when he proclaimed that salvation is found in no one else but Christ Jesus? For you see, the name Jesus reveals the task of the Savior because God tells us that this name means he will save his people from their sins. Matthew 1 verse 21. 
That is, he can heal us physically from the effects of sin, but more importantly than that, he removes sin itself so that we can stand before the holy God as if we never had sinned at all. And so Jesus makes this makes us spiritually whole by restoring us in true relation to God the Father. And no person but the Lord Jesus Christ has been able to provide remission of sins. As he said, no one comes to the Father except through me. And Peter echoes, salvation is in no one than the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that? Well, it is because Jesus is no ordinary man. It is because Jesus is the name of the Christ, the Son of God who became man. It is the name of the Son of God who laid down his life for sinners. No one else has done that, my brothers and sisters, and therefore no one else qualifies for the honor of being called Savior. Now, I'm sure that all of us here have heard of C.S. Lewis. The children will know him from the Narnia books. Now, Jack Lewis was a self-professed atheist who converted to the Christian faith. And in his book, Mere Christianity, which is a collection of radio talks, he made a powerful observation in the chapter called The Shocking Alternative. Let me quote. It's a radio talk. He, he spoke then on the radio for all to hear. He says, I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, that is the Lord Jesus. When they say, I am ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept this claim to be God. Lewis says, that is one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God or else a madman or someone worse. You can't shut him up for a fool. You can't spit at him or you can't fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great moral teacher. He has not left that open to us, and he did not intend to. End of quote. And Scripture does not leave us that option either, my brothers and sisters. Christ Jesus is the only capstone of God's choice. Salvation is only in Christ. And Peter does not say that we can be saved, but that we, and he includes himself, must be saved. And the word must reveals a divine necessity which God has established. We must be saved. Everyone needs to be saved. And God has prepared one way to salvation, and that way is the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter says, there is no other name given by which we must be saved. And that's the gospel that Peter preached. 
And preaching, in its simplest but also most profound meaning, is proclaiming and laying before us the facts of Christ's life and purpose on earth. Preaching is the proclamation that Jesus is the one who lives. And in the preaching, God declares to all who believe in Christ Jesus as their Savior that there is restoration and life for them with him. Salvation is in Christ alone because God has determined it that way. And so Peter's sermon about salvation in Christ alone is a unique message. And let's face it, this unique message that we need to seek and find salvation in Christ alone is basically very humiliating. Humiliating for mankind. For it tells us that we cannot do without the Christ, and non-Christians don't like to hear that. And that is why the gospel continues to face stiff opposition. But that is part and parcel of our sinful state, my brothers and sisters. Adam and Eve, their downfall was that they desired to be like God in knowing good and evil and determining what is right and wrong. While they embarked on a doomed voyage of self-realization, and that doomed voyage continues to be perpetuated today. But in the preaching of Christ, the Savior of the world, God calls us back from that self-destructive path, and he calls us to live by his sovereign grace. And here it becomes evident, I hope, for all of us here, one must be made humble in order to be a Christian. And that is the message that needs to be preached, and the message we need to hear in order to remain rooted in the truth. For you see, the Christian faith is not exclusive in the sense that it is only for a few people only. Now we confess in one of our standards of faith that it needs to be preached indiscriminately to everyone. But the Christian faith is singularly unique. It claims a unique place in the lives of all who bear, who hear the image, or the message rather. It tells the story of our downfall and of God's immeasurably love in Jesus Christ by which we are restored in God's favor. Christianity speaks of Christ's sacrifice of blood on the cross of Golgotha by which he filled God's word, fulfilled God's word and stilled the wrath for all who believe. Something that you will commemorate next week at the Lord's Supper table. You see, the biblical witness maintains that the gospel is unique and that it is diametrically opposed with human philosophies. There is only one way to salvation, and that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in Jerusalem, where it all began, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, claimed, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Or was the Holy Spirit wrong in his instruction? I don't think so. There is no denying that the gospel of Christ continues to bring about a crisis 
either a full acceptance or hostility. The message of the cross was a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to heathens. And it did and still does go against the grain of a defiant human nature. And now the question is, do we dare to take our stand and defend the biblical witness that salvation is in Christ alone? To maintain this biblical truth will make us increasingly unpopular, my brothers and sisters, unpopular with the majority around us. It won't be attractive, but it is honest. It won't be pulling the wool over the eyes of people who only want to hear things that ease their minds. It is a matter of recognizing the capstone of God's choice. And that does not leave us any options but to confess, as we do with the words of hymn 28, faith looks to Jesus Christ alone, who for his people did atone. He is our one redeemer. And if you sing these words, then think about it, because that in actual fact is saying that there is no name under heaven given to us by which we must be saved. Amen.